0: Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Dave Alba, and he'll be answering your questions on wet fly magic. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Dave a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill out the form on the right side of our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use hashtag ask about fly Fishing and also hashtag fly Fishing. In fact, if you've got a moment, do it right now while you're listening. We'd sure appreciate it. The content of this broadcast is copywriting. It's the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc. Doing Businesses as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Dave Alba about wet flying magic. Whether you want to catch your first hermit in Belize, tame a giant tarpon in the Florida Keys, or wrestle a mint bright Atlantic salmon in eastern Canada, Gill's Fly Fishing International's well-traveled booking team has the knowledge to make it happen. They consider trust to be the single most important aspect of their work. The only book locations that they know, meaning Proven operations providing the right mix of great fishing, comfortable accommodation, and high integrity. Get in touch today to start planning your next fly fishing adventure. Visit flyfishinginternational.com. That's flyfishinginternational.com. Or call them at 780-665-4943. That's 780-665-4943. Before we introduce Dave, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Flyfishers Fishers International. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Dave's section that says Register for our Free Drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winner at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a dozen wet flies hand-selected by Dave Aldon. Thanks to Dave for providing this great prize. Now, here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that Dave and I talked about during the show, and you must submit your answer along with your name and location using the text box on our homepage. So listen closely, take notes, type fast, and maybe you'll win that dozen flies from Dave Albaugh. Our guest tonight is Dave Albaugh. Dave was born and raised in Johnstown. Pennsylvania. He is a professional licensed Pennsylvania guide, wet fly tire, and owner of the Wet Fly Water Guides. He has been fly fishing since the early 1970s and has concentrated his efforts in the famed waters of central and north central Pennsylvania, specifically streams like Spring Creek, Penns Creek, Juanita, or Junita, Kettle Creek, and Big Pine Creek. Dave specializes in the classic art of wet fly fishing. His mission is to educate new and seasoned fly fishermen about the largely forgotten art of wet fly fishing and to show exactly how productive wet flies can be throughout the year. Over the past 30 years, Dave has spent countless hours on the stream and had his advice perfecting and designing highly effective wet fly patterns and custom wet fly leaders. His unique guide service is one of the very few in the country that focuses on fishing with wet flies throughout the year. Dave takes great pride in teaching his clients that this lost art of fly fishing is as, fec- as, as effective today as it has been in the past. And he's given numerous seminars and demonstrations on wet fly fishing, the local TU chapters, FFI clubs, Boy Scout troops, high school fly fishing clubs, and fly fishing shows. Well, Dave, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Roger, for having me on.
0: Yeah, well, good to have you. And we've got lots of great questions tonight. And so we uh, hope to educate everybody out there on wet fly fishing. So like we said earlier, folks, if you've got a question, send it in. Fill out that form on our homepage, and uh, we'll take those questions as they come in tonight as well. With that said, let's dive in, Dave. First thing up, Chuck in Placerville, California, wrote in, he says, "What?" Led you years ago to focus on wet flies on pa streams, if you fish outside of Pennsylvania, is your fishing technique still focused on wet flies, and why? so what got you going? Did you always fish wet flies or did you were you converted?
1: Um, <laughs> actually, in the early years, I was of course a nymph fisherman and a dry fly fisherman and Those few years, I got to be pretty decent at it, and I was looking for something different to do after I kind of, I'm not going to say mastered those methods, but, you know, I was just looking for something different to do. I just happened to pick up a field and stream magazine somewhere, and I opened it up, and there was an article in there on fishing wet flies. And I thought, huh, this is old school Fly fishing, this is kind of where all the other methods got its start. And I didn't hear of too many people here in Pennsylvania fishing wet flies. And if they were fishing them, they weren't letting the cat out of the bag very much. I started doing some research, and before you know it, I was on my way. I started to play around with different fly lines, uh, with different leader designs and also tying the flies and and it took off from there and did you
0: in those early days were you learning from any of the wet fly things going on in like great britain and so forth i think that's um, where it was
1: actually in those early days it was just starting to be kind of reintroduced and you know okay. kind of there wasn't a whole lot being written out there but the first that i heard of a reprint of uh James Leeson Ring and Pete Heide's book, The Art of Tying the Wet Fly and Fishing the Flimp. And that happened right around 1970 and 1971. And then, of course, as the years went on, I started doing a little bit more research. And then in the mid-70s and early 80s, you know, you had Sylvester Neem's three books that came out on soft tackles. And then another gentleman, Alan McGee, put out a book. And then Dave Hughes put out a book, and, and then Roger Fogg put out a book on wet flies. And it was kind of being all reintroduced at that point in those early years. And it was like I was kind of like sitting right there on the wagon and
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just riding along. I started doing some experimenting here in Pennsylvania, really learning the bug life, what's living under the particular streams. That I fished, and that's how I progressed. And then, like I said, I started experimenting with fly lines and leaders and rods, and that's what drove me along. Yeah, so that's... it was that early progression. And like I said, I was right there in the thick of things. And too bad I wasn't writing one of those books. <laughs> 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 yeah. But yeah, but yeah, but at that point, my goal was never to do a book or and I wasn't even in the guiding part at guiding wasn't even in my mind at that point I was just trying to learn everything that I could learn and like I said I didn't go back to the UK version of the soft tackles and the wet flies that they were doing there I was just trying to concentrate on what was going on here in the US
2: mm-hmm. and okay.
1: so yeah. I was just trying to follow that and, of course, Pennsylvania is a hotbed for wet fly fishermen. Yeah. And I just yeah kept moving oh, along uh, with it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you're the only other, you know, I've done like 363 interviews <laughs> oh, since 2006. <laughs> but the only other person I ever interviewed who was, only fished one way was Nate Brumley. I don't know if you know the name or not. but he, No, no, I
2: don't.
0: Uh, I think he wrote a book called Addicted to the Rise. And Nate claimed that he had never even sunk a nymph or flat, fished a streamer for the past 50 years. He's only dry fly fished. Only dry wow. fly fished. Yeah. So we did. If folks yeah. are interested, there's an episode here that you can listen to on our site called Addicted to the Rise, Nate Brumley. Only dry fly fishing. Yeah, only dry <laughs> You, you too are right. like the only two people I've run into that are, you know.
1: Yeah. One I, I kinda, thing, I, you know. <laughs> yeah, I kind of get it all the time of kind of being that purist, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, you know, guys will say, you mean you don't carry any nymphs? And it's like, no, you don't carry any dry flies. And no, and no streamers. <laughs> and it's like, no. and And it's like, and how are you successful throughout the season? It, it's just I just did a lot of homework, <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah, on, yeah. on the particular yeah. streams that I fish. Yeah. Um, well, most so. of us,
0: or at least speaking for myself, you know, it's like I'm looking in the box and thinking one of these damn flies should work, right? Yeah. I yeah. Really. A dry fly, <laughs> nymph, wet fly, or what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so uh, maybe it's you know they always say to, well in the marketing business which I'm in is, you know, niche down. Be something specific to a, a right. certain group of business people. And maybe you've got the secret there is by yes. know, trying to yes. do too so, many things, you know, you just focus on one thing and get it perfect and then right, they right. do better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So well congrats on that journey. <laughs> things <laughs> have worked out for you. Yeah. yeah. So we've got some basic questions and obviously some questions coming in from people of you know, uh, dip their toe in the water with the wet flies and so forth. Mm -hmm. Dan in Seattle, Washington wrote in, and he says, are wet flies the same as nymphs and or soft-hackle flies? Do you want to define wet flies for us?
1: They're not the same as nymphs. And, of course, they're the same as soft-hackles. And your nymph is more living on the bottom of the stream. And the soft-hackle, of course, is it can be fished on the bottom of the stream or it could be fished mid level or it could be fished like up in the film you know and it can fish very successfully there but what i've done over the years is i incorporated my flies to soft tackles flimps and of course traditional wet flies but what i've done with the traditional end of those flies is all i've done is I've tied, I've used softer material than they did back in the day. And then, of course, the way that I construct the fly, just picture an old-time wet fly with the married wings, straight hackle tail, fiber tail off the back, and then, of course, your hackle on there. So what I've done was, is when I'm constructing my flies, of course, I'm starting at the tail. I put the tail on, but I wrap under the tail two turns of thread under the tail, and I pull that tail up kind of at a 45-degree angle, okay? And then I'll lash it down, and then I'll build the body. And then, of course, if I'm putting a wing on the fly, I don't use – I do not marry the wings on there. What I do is I'll just take – a secondary feather. Now back in the day they used the primary feathers. They used one from the right and one from the left of a duck or any other bird and they married those wings. So what I did was is I just use the fibers off of the secondary feather and I stripped that off and I just fold it over and roll it. It's actually a rolled wing, okay, and I'll set that on and it'll sweep right back over the body on it just like a traditional married wing would and then of course with the hackle i use grouse partridge yeah everything that's uh, all the game birds that are have real nice molted colors and soft hackle Mm -hmm. on them that's the way that i design the as far as the traditional and then of course the soft hackles yes i follow suit on the traditional way of tying soft hackles. The only thing that I do on my soft hackles a little bit different, and of course, I picked up on this on one of the, in one of the books that I put a thorax on all of my wets, specifically the soft hackles, so that when I tie that hackle in, it actually veils up over that thorax. Okay. The fibers are sticking, kind of picture this, is the fibers sticking up like on an angle sweeping back. Whenever that fly gets wet, it does fold over the body, but not completely over the body. And it makes, so when you're fishing it in the current or you're stripping it or manipulating that fly through the current, those hackles start to move. There's lots of motion there. Not Mm -hmm. only now, I just incorporated three pieces of movement into that fly, and I think movement is the key to the flies.
2: Right, those are right, three
1: Those are three trigger points in there. When I strip that fly a little bit or it hits a riffle or whatever, that tail is bouncing a little bit, that wing is bouncing a little bit, and the hackle is just undulating in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what's, you know, the really key to making those flies very successful in for the fish to eat them
0: what makes is it just the body that's the difference
1: so the flimp is actually kind of a tweener stage in between the nymph stage and the and the emerging when it's coming to the surface to break out okay of the mayfly okay so what i do is on those i kind of wrap the hackle back through the thorax a little bit and you know it kind of gives it that little bit of different look to it. In the same way with those, I angle all my tails up if I'm putting tails on my flies. I have a couple of different designs. I have some with tails. I have some without with wings and without wings. It all depends what Mm I'm mimicking that day.
0: Do you share your recipes or do any tying Um, demos?
1: I go to a lot of, in this day and age now, pretty much everybody has a cell phone. And I guess I'm probably one of the last People on the planet that doesn't have one, but I do a lot of the fly fishing shows here on in the east, and guys come ask me if I can shoot some if they can shoot some pictures with their phones, and they ask me about different flies and that, and I share the recipes with them. One of my big sayings in the business is, "Remember, this is just fishing, and it's always good." to share your knowledge with the up and coming and even the seasoned angler it's you know we're a small group of anglers out there and to be honest with you i haven't met a bad one yet in the fly fishing world and everybody's willing to share something and i do yeah i do share my recipes
2: do you
0: are they published where some our listeners could find them on the internet somewhere. Uh,
1: no, I do not publish. Okay. I'm not into the whole social media thing. I kind of like to stay under the wire a little bit. I know I'm probably shooting myself in the foot by not getting into <laughs> that, but I kind of like to stay old school. You know what I mean? Believe sure, me, I've met sure. I've, you know I've met anglers on the stream and and will be catching fish and they won't you know and the next thing you know it's like they come up and it's like hey what the heck are you using? It's like you know, you're really putting the hammer on these fish, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, a lot of times I'll open up my box and say, "Hey, here you go, try this." And Next yeah. thing you know, they walk yeah. away. And when I've gotten emails from anglers like that, "Hey, I met you on the stream," and but to me, it's all about sharing the method. And
0: yeah, you know, yeah. Well, I've really, also
1: uh, that's what I get a kick out of.
0: I've also seen on the stream where, yeah, you, somebody says, "Well, what are you using?" Well, I'm using a Prince sniff, and they say, "Oh, well, well, here, take one and go try it." Yeah, and they walk yeah. downstream a, a few yards, and they use the same fly, and they're not catching anything still. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's, yeah. I've had uh, many guests say it's not the fly; it's yeah. you know, the presentation, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is there a particular material you prefer for, for the bodies on these flies, uh, and or? You had mentioned a lot of different hackle types, but are there any that you prefer that you like to work with more than others?
1: For, um, for the bodies or for the hackles, or both? Both. On the bodies, geez, I use a lot of stuff. I use a lot of wopsy Squirrel Dub. I use some synthetics. A few years back, I don't know, probably five, six, seven years ago, I started experimenting with embroidery floss, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus, you can go to the craft store and, you know, or your sewing store and go in, and they have, uh, you can get that in cotton, rayon, silk. So I started experimenting with uh, six-strand embroidery floss for the bodies. And a lot of times I'll use a single strand or else you can mix colors. You can take two different strands on a two different color strands to create a nice body. And like I said, the synthetic and the natural squirrel dub, anything rabbit, anything natural. And as far as the hackles, well, of course, partridge probably being right up there on the top of the list. I use a lot of partridge. I use a lot of grouse, woodcock, any of the game birds, turkey, hen pheasant, cock pheasant, some duck some feathers off of the ducks it's endless and of course being somewhat of a hunter too really helps i have a stash of a lot of that but yeah the partridge hackle and grouse i tie a mm-hmm. lot with
2: okay just a
0: follow up question on your fly patterns either ron wrote in here on the internet asking if there's any place where you can just see the the patterns you've tied any pictures anywhere
2: out on the um
1: area? Actually, no. You'd actually have to come and see me at one of the fly fishing shows. Um, Okay. I I don't, yeah. And And actually bring your phone. You can take pictures.
0: Um, Okay. Or win the uh, contest today. Yeah, yeah, or win the contest today.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay.
0: All right. We need to take a quick break here, Dave, and then we'll be right back and uh, we'll uh, continue on here. Hold on for just a few minutes. Musky Town is so much more than a musky fly shop. Whether you're a musky fly fishing guy, an experienced musky hunter, or just getting into predators on the fly, wherever your life's adventures take you, Musky Town's proven lineup helps you be more successful on the water. They have rods, reels, lines, and flies for musky, pike, and bass. Most of their flies are tied in-house, and they fish them at every possible opportunity so they know what works, why it works, and exactly what you need to put big fish in the net. Sit back, relax, enjoy legendary fly shop service, and let them know if there's anything they can help you with. Next time you think of musky, go to muskytown. That's muskytown.com, or call them at 763-312-6012. That's muskytown.com, or call them at 763-312-6012. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Dave all about, about wet fly magic. If you'd like to ask Dave a question, just go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, and use the Q&A text box there to send in your questions. Okay, Dave, I always like to ask my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? Tell us about your guide business and, and what you got going out there.
1: Okay. And um, where you are. <laughs> so Where you yeah. are. I live in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, born and raised here. And 15 years ago, I got into the guide business. And my guide service is called Wet Fly Water Guides. And I guide fly fishing trips in central and north-central Pennsylvania. I guide one to two anglers on a trip. And you can jump over to my website, www.wetflywaterguides.com all the information is there on my trips. I do a little blog on my website too. At this point, we're just coming into the fall season and I'm getting ready to start guiding again. I normally don't guide during the summer months. I like to give the fish a break. Here, of course, we got low water, hot water. I don't guide and I actually don't fish for trout during the summer months anymore. I've um stepped out a little bit. Beyond the wet flies, and I started fly fishing for bass and pike on some of our lakes and a river here in Pennsylvania. It's a major tributary to the Susquehanna River. Uh, it's called the Juniata River. We call it—I call it the Big Juniata because I fished the uh, Little Juniata a lot for trout. I concentrate my efforts in the summer months on the. Uh, big juniata for smallmouth bass. Mm-hmm. So so since then, I've got a, a 15-foot stealthcraft raft, a three-man raft, and next year I'm putting into my guide business floating in the summertime for smallmouth. It's an absolutely great way to prolong that fly fishing urge. Yeah. You know, yeah. when the water kind of goes south a little bit, and I've been absolutely having a ball with it, catching some nice smallies on the river and on the lakes. That's a new venture for me. Okay. And yeah, I noticed that, on your uh,
0: website, and again, I want to repeat it, wetflywaterguides.com. I see that you've listed uh, fly shows you're going to be at this year, or this coming yeah. year, 2023, so people yep. can see where you're going to be. And you usually, do you usually give presentations there, or are you in the fly
1: time um, area? Or? And, and sometimes I do presentations. I normally, Most often, I'm there as a fly tire. I'm on fly tires row at the big shows and at the smaller shows. Okay,
2: good, good.
0: All right, well, thanks for sharing that with us. And, Mm -hmm. uh, folks, you know how to find him now, so take advantage of that if you can. Another question came in here. Dave, Gary Kaufman, and uh, he resides in both Pennsylvania and, and North Carolina. He says, what factors determine fly size?
1: That's a good question. Whenever I go to the stream, I'm checking everything out. I'm looking what's flying around. I'm looking what's on the water. I'm looking what's in the spider webs, what's on the leaves. That is really going to determine what size fly I'm going to fish. But in our season here in Pennsylvania, that May and June period is when a lot of our hatches are going on and we have the most bug life on the water. Just over the years of learning the bug life in the streams that I fish and guide on, I know what's going to be happening, okay? I know when those specific flies are going to be coming within a few days. And like I said, I did my homework very well on the streams just by learning the aquatic bug life. And normally here in PA, a lot of uh, 12s, 14s, some 16s, they do go, we do have some bug life down in the 16s and 18s. And then when you get down into the trichos and that, you're into 22s, 24s. But I do not fish flies that small down into the 20s. Okay. What I am doing, I'm only going down to a short shank 14, which is about the size of a 16. I'm only scaling down to size sixteen, so sixteens, fourteens, twelves and tens that's okay. you know, the flies that I'm using
2: But, okay, but like I, think- I said
1: i know i kind of I know what's going on on those particular streams and what size fly that I have to use for that day,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I hope that answers bob garman's question. He was asking what's the smallest wet fly you've had success with? I think you kind of
1: yeah, well, Knock that
0: out
1: Yeah, the short shank 14s just is small as I go. I tried experimenting with size 20s and and even slip striking the fish, but I just can't seem to. I just can't seem to make that happen because the hit is so hard and so vicious that 99% of the time the fly pulls out. Oh, believe me, I'll get a lot of takes, but I won't get a lot of fish to hand you know what i mean but the do you, you think that's
2: a,
0: the hook gap or what
1: uh, well i don't know i went to a, a wider gap on some different brand hooks and and it just i just still couldn't get the hook penetration or i could get the hook penetration but actually i just couldn't get the you know i couldn't land the fish but you know on the one of the most successful flies the small flies was I tie a uh, short shank fourteen blue wing olive and I've had really good success with that fly in the spring of the year in that March and April period. And that was one of the a memorable trip with that small pattern. But Yeah know, that's uh I mean, that's as small as I'll go though short shank fourteen. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, okay. Question from Bruce Whittle in Missouri wanted to know When you're preparing a hackle for a soft hackle collar, do you prepare to fold the feather and wrap, or do you strip the barbs off one side and the stem and then wrap?
1: Okay. What I do is I tie all my wets with, I tie them by the tip. What I'll do is is I'll take a pair of uh, the spring clamp hackle pliers, and I'll grab it as close to the end as possible, and then I'll just, kind of sweep those fibers back and pinch it and then I'll just cut that and just leave just a tiny part of that feather exposed and that'll be my tying in point right there I always tie all of my wets in at the tip
2: okay
0: okay and you don't strip the
1: strip no half of it I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't strip it I go I kind of do what do I want to say a more of a, a modified version, instead of like one ramp or one and a half wraps, I usually go two, two and a half wraps because I'm trying to create the most durable fly that I possibly can. I don't want to catch 12 fish on one fly before the hackles start to blow off. I want to catch 24 fish before mm-hmm. the fly starts to blow apart. I just kind of over-hackle it a little bit Two and a okay. half wraps on the two and a half wraps is not much. But mm-hmm. when you're looking at some of the soft tackles or that only call for a wrap and a half or one wrap, that's they're after that what do I want to say? That sparseness in that fly.
2: Right. I'm not trying
1: yeah. I'm not trying to create that sparseness in the fly. What I'm trying to do is, is I'm trying to create as much movement in that fly and that two-and-a-half wraps gives me that extra movement, and it makes that fly a little bit durable, more durable. Okay. Believe me, okay. I like the th- I like the tie flies, but I like to fish a lot more. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, <laughs> yeah. that saves, so that saves me from coming back to the vice after a trip or, you know, yeah. after a guide yeah. trip or after a trip that I'm out that I have to sit down and try to get some more flies tied.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's yeah, kind it's of funny, my philosophy no, if- of it. You know, I like to fish the salt and go down for, like, tarpon and permit and bone fish. And what's interesting is I always take down a whole bunch of flies, and I always come back with a whole bunch of flies <laughs> because <laughs> in, the, in the salt water, you're using heavier leader and tippet, right, and right. you're not getting hung up on rocks and sticks right. and stuff like that. And and then usually when you use, lose a fly, it's because you got – the gill of a tarp and cut your line or, right. you know, a <laughs> permit wrapped you around some coral. But it, it was all great fun while you lost that fly. But right. it's not like trout fishing where it seems like, you know, like every 20 minutes you might be losing a fly to something. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. Trees, rocks, right. logs, and not so much fish. But, uh, right. but anyway, it made me think of that, yeah. All the, the more you want to keep those flies uh, durable for sure. James George in State College, in your area there, because what wet flies do you start with during mid-April to mid-May in central PA streams?
1: Okay, so in April you have, the, of course, the blue-wing olive is, the tiny blue-wing olive is pretty much king in April because our weather here is still pretty ugly most of the time in April. Sometimes we get lucky and get a warm spell and we have a 70-ish day a couple April days, but very, very seldom. The bluing olive is good. That bluing olive that I was talking about on that short shank 14 is a good fly for me. I also pay attention to, and of course James probably knows, he probably fishes spring creek a lot like I do. You're watching for the granum right there in mid to mid or late April. Usually it gets started on spring creek first and then after that it moves to the little jay. And I fished a granum hatch on Spring Creek a lot in that April period. And then when May comes, well, everything's starting to come. you got your sulfurs, your Cahills, your March Browns. It's kind of like a hodgepodge at that point. And like I said, I'm fishing the hatches as it's happening. The wet flies that I design, I have hatch matchers for every species of mayfly pretty much that's coming off in central and north-central Pennsylvania. I pretty much got the game covered at that point in that April, May, and June period.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And I know, that's kind of what I look for in that early part of the season.
2: Backing
0: up just a little bit here, David in uh, Grand Rapids wrote in here on the Internet, says, uh, what makes your wet flies perform? And I would add to that, I guess, better than other wet flies, is there...
1: Any um so, part of your design? Yeah, it's in the design and like I said, I try to create as much movement in it and use I try to use the softest material that I can get my hands on. Like I said, I uh-huh. use a lot of partridge, grouse, I use those Brahma hens, uh Indian necks. There's and that's all real good hackle. Like I said, any of the game birds. And then, of course, that secondary feather for the wing, that is a good key, too. You have to remember, on the back in the day when they married those those wings, I mean, don't get me wrong, those flies caught fish. That was the building block of what's kind of going on today. But my take on that was, is you had that stiff wing on there, and that fly kind of acted as a rudder going through okay just think of a the keel on the bottom of of a sailboat and that's kind of what that reminded me of and there wasn't a whole lot of movement there but now with the materials that we have and that we're using and we have and you can create a much softer fly and incorporate a lot of movement in that fly Mm -hmm. and that's what i key on is is that movement and using that softer material
0: Yeah, yeah now, when we talk about a wet fly, whether it be a flimp or a, a standard wet fly, are we basically trying to imitate, whether you're fishing on the bottom, middle of the water column, or upper, is it all basically trying to imitate an emerging insect? Is that Correct. The, the purpose? Correct. Okay. okay.
1: So in, and that's why you're getting map... all
0: that movement of right. opening up and things coming out of it and
1: air bubbles right. and all that
2: stuff. Right.
1: I try not to, for personally myself and the way that I guide, I do not get my flies to the bottom, okay? I'm covering the mid to top section of the water, okay? I'm not dredging my wets down on the bottom. I'm covering that middle column of the water, and I'm covering that top end of the water. And And is that because
0: the place that you feel the fish are seeing that emerging insect
1: Correct. And and usually in that, when you're in that May and June period here in Pennsylvania, that's when a lot of our mayfly and caddis activity is happening. I mean, everything is starting to hatch, and there's something different every couple of weeks. One pattern comes in, you might have the sulfurs, and then you'll get an overlap of Cahill's on top of that. Then you'll get some March browns. It's really neat because you can cover two to three hatches at one time. That's what really makes it unique, and it kind of ups the game in your favor a little bit, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, and we need to take a quick break. I'm going to leave and come back to what you were just talking about because there's a question kind of that relates to that that I can, I think you can stem off of what you just talked about and answer. So uh, hang tight. We'll be right back, and we'll take that right from where we left it. <laughs> Enrico Pagliesi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or you'd like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Dave Alba about wet fly magic. you'd like to ask Dave a question, just go to our homepage, fill out that form, and send us your question. We'll try to get it answered here tonight. Okay, we did. The question I was referring to was, Roberts, he resides up in Maine. He says, "What is your favorite go-to wet fly when there is no hatch in progress, and you do not have a favorite progression of flies if you're not getting any action?" So, what you just said made me think about his question because plenty of those times when you don't, you may not right. know mm-hmm. what's coming off or, or where. Right.
2: right?
1: Is there a
0: searching fly that you have?
1: I have Nothing? one searching. I have one particular searching fly that. I created years ago, and I call it the magic, okay, and it's a very simple pattern, but the thing just seems to work on all of here in central Pennsylvania and in north central Pennsylvania. It's just one of those flies that I really, really have the most confidence in. It's probably all the flies that I have in my box, that's like the one that I really have the top confidence on. When nothing's hatching, that is the fly that goes on the point fly.
0: And do you, so, can you describe what that looks like or what's constructed? Yes,
1: like? I tie them on short shank 14s, of course, which is, as I said, about the size of a 16. And then I tie them on 14s, I tie them on 12s, and I tie them on 10s. And it's, believe me, it's no secret. What it is is wopsy squirrel dub, fox squirrel dub, with a gold rib, either wire or uh, thin tinsel. I like to use wire because it just builds a little bit of weight into that fly. And it has just a, a little bit bigger thorax on it up towards the head and a brown partridge hackle on it and brown thread don't use black because it won't be as effective <laughs> it's a uh, it's like a chocolate actually i have some here on my desk uh actually it's it's like a rusty brown thread or what about the uh, or about or the a, no let's put it this way it's a coachman brown thread how's that okay. tail no tail on it no tail no tail, tail. and that is my go-to fly. I know Bob was probably thinking that the pheasant tail soft tackle was probably my favorite, but that's kind of an inside joke with Bob and I. Actually, well. I've guided <laughs> I've, I've I've guided Bob quite a few times uh, here in okay. Central PA, and he's always busting on me about the pheasant tail. So. <laughs> He knows that's not one of my confidence flies, (laughs) so I'm sure he's getting a good chuckle at this point. But, yeah,
2: that's
1: that's the go-to fly whenever there's no hatch on. And, you know, and how I progress through that, as I said, the streams that I fish here, as soon as I get to the water, I do that little bit of survey, I look, and if nothing's happening, I usually have a set of three flies that I put on. That I start with, okay, and then that's my starting point, and then I play the game from there. If I'm not moving any fish, then I start switching, I start switching up. But my philosophy always was is dark, medium, and light, okay, and it doesn't matter where I would put those flies on, either on the point fly or on the droppers. You can just switch them around. But I would always start dark, medium, and light. And I do that, too. Say, if, if I'm going to Montana or Colorado or anywhere, a stream that I've never fished before, that's how I start out in that color combination.
0: And just trying to search out what they're keying in on, whether it be a dark Correct. Fly, medium. Right, dark fly, right. Or a light fly, yeah. Right. Hmm, interesting. Okay. I know we'll talk here in a minute about tandem rigs and droppers and so forth, so mm-hmm. we'll come back to this question in a minute. But um, I want to kind of finish up. Oh, there was a question about the reverse hackle wet flies that you see with Tinkara a lot. Yeah.
1: Is, is, I, you know, I, dabb- that? No, I never dabbled in that. I talked to a few gentlemen um, that has done that, and I looked at the flies, and the flies are tied pretty sparse, just like some soft tackles but only thing, the hackle is pulled up over the eye instead of sweeping right. back over the body. And I'm sure there's right. lots of movement in that whenever that thing is coming through the water. No, but I've never dabbled into that. That Okay, aspect of the
0: okay. Guy. Are there any favorite flies you can recommend to folks? Or are all your flies <laughs> your own creations? Are there
1: any, um, any yeah, classics much, or anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's. I'll throw out there three classic flies that I really think are true fish grabbers. First of all, the winged hares ear is always a great fly, old-time wet fly. Still produces as it did back in the day. And, of course, the next fly is a brown hackle peacock. Great fly. I've taken a lot of trout. I've taken steelhead on a brown hackle peacock. And, of course, the number one fly, um, of course... In the uh, northern part of PA is the picket pin. The picket pin is king in, in northern PA, on Big Pine Crick, Kettle Crick, a mm. lot of the free stoners up there. Very classic fly, classic wet fly, traditional flies.
2: Right.
0: Okay. Let's move on here a bit and talk about equipment. We'll come back to Huh you know, strategies and techniques about using some of these flies, but we had to start us off here, Mark in Hershey, Pennsylvania, wrote in. He says, interested on your ideas for a good wet fly rod. I bought a four-weight foot 10-foot four rod to improve my wet fly game. The majority of the time I fish upstream presentations, but I will also incorporate downstream presentations when called for. My rod is a very sensitive tip and a good backbone to pick up intermediate lines but it's a bit too fast. I I feel like most rods these days are too fast, especially for here on the East Coast where the wind is rarely an issue. I like 10-foot-plus rods so I can use a longer tippet and manage line well. But I can't seem to find a rod that is suited for my style of wet flies. Usually when I ask people at stores, they think wet flies means cast across and hope, and there is so much more to it than that. What characteristics do you prefer in your
1: rods? Very thought-out okay, so, question. Yeah, great, great, great question. Pretty much in the beginning stage of this method with me, I fish medium action rods. I have, gosh, I have sage, I have uh, pow, I have orvis. Those were my go-to. Five weights, medium action, that served the purpose for many years. And, and it just got, I used those rods over the years and I got very used to them you know with this method but then finally I kind of discovered bamboo okay I took the method a little bit back to its tradition and I had a couple of bamboo rods made for me by a maker here in Pennsylvania and I wanted a, a stiff butt in in the rod medium through the middle and slow at the tip, okay, so that I could get that action and actually it would be almost like a buffer whenever that fish would hit. The rod would flex more at the tip and down through the middle. And I went the bamboo. All of my rods are eight and a half or nine foot. Ten foot is a real good rod. I actually, I fished with a gentleman some years ago that had a Hardy's Gray 10-foot rod, and I watched him maneuver the line over some differential currents and moved, was able to work those flies in through those different currents and that, and lift it up. Yes, longer was better at, for that, a 10-foot, but like I said, I'm more prone we're kind of creatures of habit and eight and a half just seems to be my habit. (laughs) And I just never experimented with ten-footers. But I know a couple of guys that fish ten-foot rods with wet flies and they perform very well. So, yes, you're on the right track with a four-way ten-foot rod, but you need that nice slow tip and you need that medium through the center and a stiff butt in it and you got yourself a perfect wet fly rod
0: do you want to share the the rod maker that you use, um, the uh, make that, rods commercially? Or?
1: Yes, yes. The rod maker, his name is Jim Downs. And Jim is, he's a really good maker, stands behind his product 100%. Believe me, I've broken one or two of his rods a couple of times, and I've taken them back, and he's treated me very well on repairs. And, of course, he makes rods that he wants the angler to fish with. These are not bamboo rods that you put up on your wall, you know, and you ooh and ah over. These are fishing rods. And when I first met him, he gave me a rod to go try. And he says, here, Dave, he says, take this thing out and beat the heck out of it, you know. And I'm like, geez, oh, man, you know, Hmm. the thing is absolutely beautiful. And you're telling me to treat it like, you know, like a a piece of tree limb. But, yes, very good maker, and that's, uh, he's done justice by me. And, actually, um, if anybody is interested, he has a website. And, actually, he has my specs for the rods that he has built me
2: oh, um, nice. over
1: the years. Yeah, so you can call him up and say, hey, I talked to Dave Vaba, and he says you have the specs. Actually, the rod that he designed for me is a modified garrison taper and the rod performs well picks the intermediate sinking line up off the water like a dream and it took a little bit getting used to going from graphite to bamboo it's a whole different cast in itself you kind of have to slow down a little bit let that line open up and and it shoots the line very well but yeah you know, you know that's another alternative to go to uh besides graphite
0: do you know happen to know his Name of his website? Um His domain name?
1: Yeah, I think it's J. Downs. But if you type Would in... Would it
0: be uh, L, L, LJ, L.J. Downs?
1: Yeah, L.J. Downs. Yeah, if you type, if you Google him up, he's yeah. there.
0: Yeah, Great L.J. J Downs. Maker. For you folks interested, L.J. Downs, D-O-W-N-E-S, com. Yeah. Again, that's L.J. Downs company dot com. So, yeah. Hey, thanks for that. It's yeah, a good lead yeah. for these uh, folks yeah. that are really interested in the wet fly fishing. So.
1: And one of the reasons, too, that I switched over to bamboo, I wanted to bring a little more of the tradition back into what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way that they did it back in the 40s and 50s. In 60s under they fished with bamboo and they fished a brace of wet flies and i wanted to kind of continue that tradition a little bit but i just kind of tweaked up a few things of what they did back then to bringing it up to the 20th century
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah yeah well good listen i've got to take another break when we come back we'll talk more about some Equipment and strategies and tactics, and finish the night off. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with the restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like the peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish and to preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. If you're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, we're talking with Dave Alva about wet fly magic. Um, if you'd like to ask Dave a question, use that form on our homepage. Fill it out, send it in, and we'll try to get your question answered. All right, Dave. Another Dave, and I'm just going to say Dave Budd in Vail, Colorado, yeah. <laughs> if I can't pronounce his last name, obviously knows you, and he says, hey, oh, yeah. stranger. Yeah. Two questions. You, you used to swear by an old Orvis fly line for your down and across approach. Do so you re- recommend these things? And yeah, I'd like you to tell us, are you using floating, intermediate, thinking tip, and if you've got some specific lines you want to mention, that's fine.
1: Okay, to Dave's first question. When I first started the method and I started experimenting with different types of fly lines, Orvis had an intermediate sinking line, and for years that line served me very well. It was a burnt orange in color, and it had a sink rate of uh, an inch to an inch and a half a second. Okay, It was a full intermediate, so like the first 35 or 40 feet of the front of the line sank to that inch inch to inch and a half. And, of course, that line served me well over the years. I turned a lot of guys, guys that I guided, I pointed them in the right direction. That's the line that they needed. Well, then, of course, you being a marketing guy, you can probably understand that, of course, if something doesn't sell a good bit it's going to be discontinued <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so they kind of took that line off the market and they they went to a clear line they started marketing a clear intermediate sinking line and right. clear is no good because of you have the reflection of the sun on the water, and the line. you have to be able to look at the line. So the line is your sinker or your split shot, and it is your indicator of what the flies are doing. They discontinued that model. But in the meantime, I've, I was having guys calling me and wanted to know where they could get the lines. Well, they were gone. What I did was is I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I kind of went back to where wet fly got its start the UK. I found a line maker in Scotland, and I got him to send me a line and to trial, and the line worked perfectly. It was a good color. It was kind of a lighter green color. You could really see it on the water very well, and I started getting fly lines from him, and I started pointing everybody to that maker. Well, then, of course, COVID hit and kind of blew everything out of the water, and I don't think he's still recovered yet from that. I haven't spoken to him for a while. But Mm. in the meantime now, I started doing some more research. Cortland has a line now on the market. It's in their classic series. It's a full intermediate. It sinks an inch and a half to two inches a second. Absolutely perfect. I've been pointing guys in that direction. I have one of them in my arsenal that, I trialed before I started directing anybody to buy that line. I trialed that line for a couple of months, and it fished absolutely great. So Cortland has a line now. Davis, you're in the market for a new intermediate sinking line. That's what I'm recommending to fish with wet flies. It has a great sink rate, and it performs great. And the color is absolutely great to see on the water.
2: Mm, okay. so,
0: Good. Okay. The second part of his question was, when are you coming to Colorado to fish and visit? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy, if you have a bed, uh, you know, um, let me know. Uh, I'm always up for another trip, but I don't know. I just came back from Labrador here
2: uh, oh, a
1: few a nice. few weeks back, and uh, flying was not to my liking. It's Yeah, uh, it's a you pain know, nowadays. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. It was a real catastrophe, but I got there, I fished, I did real well. But, hey, as soon as as uh, as soon as we get some more pilots, I'll give you a call and I'll be out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: and if you come out, let me know. I'd sure like to meet up with you as well. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, sounds good. Let's see here. Talked about the uh, – so primarily you're using just intermediate sinking, no floating, no sinking tips, just intermediate sinking.
1: Um, no. No. So the backbone of the system is the intermediate sinking line, which I am using probably 99% of the time. Okay. I do use a floating line, and I do use a class 5 full sinking line. I'll use that class mm. 5 in the springtime or when the water is high so that I can get the flies down deeper. The floating line is when the water gets skinny, say, like in the fall. If we don't get any rain here in PA, we still have somewhat kind of low water conditions, but the water's getting nice and cool, and and the fish are starting to eat again. I'll use that floating line. The intermediate will be too heavy for that that skinnier water, and the flies will get hung up on the bottom. So I'll switch to that floating line. So I carry three spools with me, floater, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: an intermediate, and a full sinker and i use all three of those lines throughout the season it kind of makes me very versatile okay that's, that's um, what i use
0: uh we did get a question on the internet about rod here that i want to just catch before we move on all right drag we answered your question on sinking tips okay Lots of presentation questions coming in here. We're going to hit that next here. Craig uh, wanted in Moscow, Idaho, wanted to know if you ever use uh, trout
1: spay rods. Um, no, if, I if, haven't. Yeah. Um, I haven't used a trout spay rod. Um, you know, kind of a real quick story. I did guide a gentleman one year. He had he came to the to the Little Jade to fish with me, and he brought a a spay rod and there was just too much what do i want to say there was just too much water splashing with it and our fish here are high pressured you know fish and they kind of don't tolerate a lot of that splashing and thrashing around with a spay but it just didn't seem to work and i've never experimented with spay rods
2: okay
0: okay Let's move on and talk about terminal tackle. So how do you set up your terminal tackle? And I'll, let's cover the question like Greg Nichols who asks about uh, fluorocarbon, whether that, whether yep. something you use, makes a difference. So can you tell us how so, you construct your leaders right, and tippets?
1: So, right. Let's start with the leader design. The leader that I build is, I experimented with this leader, and it is, it's pretty, I consider it pretty specific to fish wets. It's an eight-section leader, and it tips out at, uh, to 4X. It has eight sections in it, and it starts with um, .021, and it tapers down to 4X. And then, of course, I incorporate dropper loops into the terminal part of my leader. Okay, this is a blood-knotted leader, and I put two dropper loops in it. And if you go online, you can look and see how you tie that dropper loop. If you hold the leader straight up, that dropper loop sticks straight out, on the straight out to the side. On my droppers, I use .015 tip or material, which which is almost like 25 or 26 pound test. Okay, and I know some guys are going, there ain't no way that you're catching fish on those on that stiff of a dropper. And over the years I've caught numerous doubles. I've guided guys that have caught doubles and triples. It definitely works. You need that stiff material that 0.15 to hold it out to the side to the side of the terminal part of the leader. You will get some wrapping whenever you strip in and say you grab it and you're moving to a different place and you look Sometimes it'll be twisted around, but 99% of the time, that twist will come out in the air or in the water, okay, and those droppers will float free from the terminal part of the leader. Okay. And the droppers are anywhere from six to seven inches long, and the tippet, I usually go probably about 24 to 26 inches of tippet. Loop-to-loop connection on the butt end to the fly line. To the loop on your fly line and to the loop on the butt end of the leader and down at the tippet end i do a loop-to-loop connection that would be on your .009 would have a loop in it and then i also tie a loop in the tippet so this makes easy on easy off in that spring period or the winter months It's easy to change that tippet very quick with a loop-to-loop connection. I'm a half-decent blood knot tire, but I'm not the best. And just think if you have a little bit of arthritis and and it's 34 degrees out, that kind of just compounds the problem of tying that knot. You can use a perfection loop, or I use an overhand knot to make the loop connection. I make my loops very small, the same way with on the droppers, too, on that dropper loop that dropper loop has to be small. That is the leader that I use. I do use fluorocarbon on the tippet and on the droppers. That's my preference. There's a lot of talk about fluorocarbon better than mono. There's a lot of debate over that. I've seen a lot of debates over that over the years. I like it for its the invisibility. Um, of course, like I said, we're talking high-pressured streams and for the visibility and of course for the tensile strength. And of course it sinks a little bit faster too.
0: Okay, okay. How many flies are you fishing normally? Two?
1: I'm fishing three flies. I'm oh, always, wow. okay. always fishing three flies. I never fish one or two. It's always three. My take is on it is I want to up the game to my advantage. Of during the day when I'm out, okay? <laughs> so, so that lets me experiment very, very well with my fly selection. I could put a size 10 on the point fly, which is on the 4X, and I could put a 12 and a 14, or I can put three 10s, or I can put three 12s. I can mix and match size and color, That just gave me like six different advantages of the game.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, And you mix
0: the colors like we talked about before then, too? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. And like I said, I pay attention to the hatches, and I'm actually looking at those flies. And like I said, we do have some overlap of hatches. And what makes it very, very unique is we can have a caddis hatch going on when the sulfurs are on. I can cover the sulfur. I can cover the caddis, but then all of a sudden we'll get we'll, the Cahills will start to come on. So I'll get an overlap of K Cahills with those sulfurs, and now I can cover all three patterns with one leader. Okay, mm-hmm. and and those three patterns on that leader, and I just work the game to my favor, very Great. well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's see here. Okay. I think Tregway answered your question about knots. I hope that took care of that. Jonathan asks, uh, I've been using the climbing prusik, prusik, uh Minotaur to tie on my wet fly droppers. They can move easily up and down my line to adjust for depths, but they lock in place while fishing and when a fish is on. Have you tried these or do you know anyone that has?
1: I've never heard of that. I haven't either. Yeah, I'm going to have to look yeah. that up. I've also had You know, some guys ask me about tippet rings too. About putting tippet rings.
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah. where the droppers are. And I always tell them, Look, that's actually one other knot that I have to tie onto that tippet ring. And I found that once I put that dropper loop in again the same as the tippet ring, but the dropper loop is pointing straight out, you know, in a ninety degree angle. And it stays in that position all the time. And, of course, that knot does not move. That's built right into the leader. As you're switching flies out throughout the day, all you have to do is replace the dropper material. And one and I use a simple clinch knot. That's all onto the dropper loop. And the same is okay. on my fly, too. On, on my fly, I use uh, on a, just a simple clinch knot.
0: Oh, your dropper loop acts as a tippet ring, basically. Correct. Kind of Correct. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Okay, we're really out of time, but I'm going to run long tonight, if it's okay with you, uh, yeah. Dave, just a little longer so we can sure. talk about presentation, because got, I've got a bunch of questions came in. Uh, everybody wants to know how you fish these wet flies. Rather than ask all these different questions, can you kind of run through the different presentations you use, whether it's upstream, downstream, across, Sure. and what your, your whole presentation strategy is?
1: Correct. Okay, sounds great. Whenever I approach the stream, before I even step in the water, I'm doing a survey of the water. I'll either stand on the bank or take one step right into the stream, and I start fishing up close first. And of course, I'm swinging, I'm casting down and across, Okay, So I'm casting at a 45 degree angle. And it all depends on the speed of the water, what I have to do to get a good presentation. I am after, say it's a real riffly on a piece of water going into a pool, what I do is down at a 45, down and across at a 45. And as soon as the fly line hits the water, I throw an upstream mend into it. And it all depends what the speed of the water is at that point of how many times I am going to have to mend that line to get those flies to float at a dead free drift, okay? I start out with a dead drift first, okay? And this can change from day to day. Some days they'll want them flies just fished on a dead drift just by mending. You just follow the fly line with the rod tip. I hold my rod kind of up at a slight angle, not real high, but so that I have a slight belly coming off the tip of the rod, about 18 or 20 inches of bow in that line before the line settles on the water. Nothing real high. I don't hold the rod real high up, like, you know, like if you were high stick nymphing. Okay. I keep the rod just kind of up on a slight angle and I follow the flies through the drift. And normally from where the flies touch down to about the first, oh, maybe 10 or 12 feet through the drift, that's where the grab is coming from. Very seldom the fish will ever take the flies straight downstream. Now, I will use that lasing ring lift on occasion when the flies are straight downstream. I'll just raise the rod up nice and slow, and when I get up to somewhat of a decent angle, not straight up but still at a partial angle with my rod up in the air, I just snap the line right off the water. And there's no false casting because you want to keep the flies wet all the time. I make one cast, I pick it up, and I put it right back down on another 45, and I fish through that run again, okay? And then I just keep taking a couple of steps downstream. I might move maybe three or four feet, so I'm actually shotgunning all of the water. I'm fishing everything. I'm fishing up close, then I'm lengthening my line, I'm going out a little bit farther, going out a little bit farther, out a little bit farther. I might throw maybe 35. 30, 35 feet of line at that point, you know, before I cover everything. But I start in close first, and I work my way out. Then if I see a run that's way on the other side of the river or whatever that I think is holding a fish or whatever, I'll move out into position. But I won't move over there until I fish everything in front of me first because there's fish laying out in front of me before I get to that end over there where I really want to fish. Right,
2: right, so, yeah. yeah.
1: The other thing that I do too is, and the dead drift doesn't work all the time. You have to experiment of how those fish want those flies presented in every day that you go. It might be a dead drift maybe two or three days in a row. You go back the fourth day and you dead drift those flies, you won't move a fish. But as soon as you put a little jig into it or you strip the fly, and when I'm talking jigging the fly, that's when you throw out, and what I'll do is, is I'll bounce the rod tip and I'll get the line moving off the water, kind of like a a bow in the line. And it's almost, just picture yourself pounding a nail in the wall and you're just, you're stopping your hammer. And that's what I'm doing. The more line that you have out, the harder you have to jig those flies. And remember, you have 30 feet of line out plus a 9-foot leader you have to transfer that energy from the tip of the rod out to the end of those flies. If you're doing that hard jig 30 feet out there, those flies are only just slightly moving in the water. They're just kind of darting a little bit. And the way that the flies are constructed of the soft material, I'm creating a lot of life into those flies at that point by jigging those flies. And that just kind of sets them off, especially during a hatch during a sulfur hatch or a Cahill hatch, March Browns, if you got flies hatching on the water, because they're taking those flies right underneath the surface, and we don't see that. You know what I mean? We don't see that right. action going on there. You have to kind of experiment. I'll strip. My son is a really good wet fly fisherman, too. I taught him everything I know, and he likes to strip the flies in like three-inch strips. He'll work them through the run and then when they're straight down, he'll just put a couple of small strips in it on the way back, and then he picks up, and then he shoots the line back out. You can cover a lot of water at that point using those couple of you know, different techniques. But it's far yeah. as you can dead drift it, you can jig it, you can strip it, and you can incorporate all three of it, all three of the methods in one drift. You can dead drift it maybe like five feet, and another five feet, and you can put a couple of jigs in it, and then you know towards the end you can put a couple of strips in it and strip it and jig it a little bit. It's the movement is to me that's I think that is what the key is, and mm-hmm. I mean and they just jump all over those flies.
0: <laughs> well, I think you uh, I think you covered pretty much all the questions we had on yeah, presentation yeah. here with one exception is a couple of people asked about upstream presentations do uh, you do that do you find it not effective or
1: i your... i don't do that i kind of went right to the old school way of the way that they do it here more or less in the states or particularly here in pennsylvania everybody that i've come across that especially some of the old timers out there that are fishing pine creek and Big Pine Creek and and the first fork of the cinema honing. A lot of good wet fly fishermen up there. Everybody fishes down and across. I'm not saying that an upstream presentation is not good. I've never done it before. I had this conversation with a pretty good authority on wet fly fishing. Uh, the gentleman's name is John Shainer. John and I had conversation about fishing them upstream and he told me to give it a try. But I like that solid grab. I mean, when that fish hits, you can feel the hit right down in your elbow. The grab is just so aggressive. And like I said, and as far as setting the hook, all I do is, is I just a little sharp set. I don't do the Bassmaster thing of ripping the rod you know, straight up. I just give a little fast jerk from my wrist. And with that slow tip, in that belly in the line those two act as a shock absorber for that when that fish hits really hard and all of a sudden the fish is on
2: yeah so. yeah
0: perfect Perfect. Great way to end the show. <laughs> We're out of time, but uh, okay. you did a fantastic job in summing up the whole presentation thing, I think. So uh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Kudos to you, Dave. Yeah. Um,
1: hey, and if any of, anybody has any other questions, and they can give me a call. My number is on my website, and my, okay. I, I have an email on there, too. They can email me some questions. And I also, if they like the leader formula, I can send them the formula. No big deal. Like I said, remember, guys, this is only fishing. (laughs) It's not brain (laughs) surgery. Well,
0: it seems like it sometimes, uh, Dave. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, thanks for offering that. That's very generous of you to our listeners, and I'm sure some some of them are going to take you up on that. Sure. uh, Fantastic. Well, we are out of time, past time. I need to wrap things up. If you stick with me, Dave, till the end, I appreciate it, because we're going to give away your dozen flies, and in the meantime, we're also going to give away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. Let me just do a quick break here, and we'll do those giveaways, and then we'll call it a night. Do you travel to fish? Medical and security emergencies happen. When they do, you can rely on Global Rescue, the world's leading membership organization providing integrated medical security, travel risk, and crisis response services to travelers worldwide. Without a Global Rescue membership, an emergency evacuation could cost you more than $100,000. That's why over 1 million members trust Global Rescue to get them home when the worst happens. Don't travel without Global Rescue. Memberships start at just $129. And learn more about Global Rescue's program by clicking on the Global Rescue icon in the footer of our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, or in the sidebar as well. You can find it on the home page. So check them out. Great insurance to have for your trips. Just a reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, if you could please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away a couple prizes. Winners for the drawing are randomly selected from the show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show because you don't want to miss out on a chance uh, at some of the great prizes we have to offer. If you are the lucky winner, we'll get contacted after the show and get you connected so that you can get your prize. We'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org, flyfishersinternational.org. And let me just get my database going here, fire it up, and have it pick me a winner. The winner is Tom Zimna. Zimina, 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 Zimina. And Tom, congratulations on that, and I know you'll enjoy your membership with Five Fisher's International. And now we're going to give away a. We're giving away. Let me just clear my cue. A dozen. Oh, one last question. <laughs> it's Rod. Rod, put in here. I'll throw it out there for you. Uh, sure. Dave, do do sure. you use CDC or not?
1: I incorporate CDC in my wings, and. I don't use it as a as making the fly float. CDC has a lot of movement in it, and I yeah. um, and actually one of the flies that I use it most in is my sulfur pattern for here in PA. Okay. It, okay. it just has so much movement in it, and yes, I, yes, I do use that.
0: Okay, great. <laughs> you got lucky tonight, Ron. <laughs> I got your answer. He was persistent, so. Yeah, so you answer this question correctly, if you're the first one, then you're going to win Dave's dozen wet fly patterns that he's created, and uh, he'll send those out to you directly. So earlier on, we talked that Dave was fishing three variations of color almost all the time, kind of as his searching method. What, What were those three variations of color? If you can name those, then you might get a dozen wet flies here. Let's see. If they're, they remember, and I am checking. It takes a minute here because sometimes things takes. There's kind of a pause in what I say, and when they hear it, and then they got to type. We're giving it a shot here, and I'm refreshing. And hold on here. Starting to come in it looks like he's got here dark, medium and light. Are those the values we we're looking for? Yep. Dave? That's it. Yeah. That's it. Okay, that's so correct. Dan Ito. Dan Ito in Kent, Washington. Uh, other side of the world from you. <laughs>
1: yeah. Most definitely uh, way over there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you did great, Dan. Dan, will you send me, you can use the same box that you just answered the question in? I've got your name and email address. I just need your shipping address, shipping address, and then we can get that. Dave will ship that out directly to you. So enjoy those flies. I'm kind of jealous, and uh, <laughs> but uh, you'll be in on his secret patterns. You can maybe uh, dissect those and uh, see if you can replicate them. But I'm sure he's Dave's going to send you the ones that fish great. So uh, congratulations, Dan, and thanks for paying attention and listening. Uh, Dave, hey. Thank you so much for being with us again and uh, uh, tonight and it's just a pleasure to talk to you. It was just great fun tonight I had a blast and uh, thank you so much.
1: Well, it was an absolute pleasure being on the show, like I said, I viewed your website whenever we first talked, and i was I felt very honored to be asked after I'd seen <laughs> some of the presenters that have been on the show yeah it's it was pretty mind-blowing for me.
0: <laughs> well, you've joined uh, a group of, yeah, very well-practiced and expert fly fishers, and you're one of them, so uh, oh. congratulations to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, did, you, did, you did as good as anybody else on there, that's for sure. So
2: Thanks. Uh,
0: Thank you so much. Uh, hopefully everybody's found our archive, podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, look for the link in the top-line menu, You can just go up there, click on Podcast Archive. You'll see the first option is Search Archive. Click on that. Then you can search by keyword, or you can go down the categories and click on the categories and see what shows we've got listed under those categories. So check it out. I'm sure you'll, you know, we've got over 360 shows now. I'm sure you'll find something there that will enhance your knowledge about fly fishing. So enjoy. Our next broadcast will be on September 21st, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, On that show, I'll interview Steve Ramirez, and our topic for the show will be casting forward, casting onward, and seaward. Steve is a fly fisher, writer, educator, master naturalist, philosopher, and outdoor adventurer. He's traveled four continents, writing about fishing, landscapes, human cultures, and the natural world. He's written for many of the major periodicals and is publishing his latest book, Casting Seaward. This book is the third in a book series that started with Casting Forward and was followed by Casting Onward. Join us and hear Steve's thoughts on fly fishing, conservation, restoration, and his hopes for the future of the planet Earth. And you can add this to your calendar if you just go under Steve's picture on our homepage, click Add to Calendar, put it on your calendar, and then you'll be all set to attend the live show. And I'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Muskytown Town, Global Rescue, Guilds Fly Fishing International, and Rico Paglisi Flies for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.